Welcome back to the With the First Pick podcast. I am your host, Brian Perez. We are brought to you, as always, by the Fan Sided Podcast Network. And we have another very special guest joining us tonight, a very good friend of mine who I've gotten to know very well over the last few years through our work together over at BearsWire.com, Mr. Lauren Cox. Lauren is one of the busiest working guys in the football media industry. You could find his work over at profootballfocus.com. Like I said, over at bearswire.com, he's covering the bears for NBC sports Chicago, and he has one of the best Chicago bears daily podcasts that you'll find out there right now in the industry in locked on bears over on Twitter. He's a great follow as well for all football banter, back and forth conversation. You could follow him there at Cox sports one. That's C O X sports one Lauren, my friend, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me on, but I wish you hadn't brought me as the first guest right after Matt Waldman, because by comparison, this this is just not going to be quite as good. Well, I, I don't sell yourself short here, Lauren. You are, in my opinion, you always have been a rising star in my mind. And now I don't even know if I can call you a rising star anymore. You are just a flat out star. I mean, how do you find the time to cover the game from all the different angles and all the different outlets that you do? I mean, you must have a clone or two of yourself at this point. Well, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of free time, but I consider this kind of thing my free time. I enjoy it and it's it's fun for me and sometimes I can bring in a little bit of cash on the side too so it feels like a win-win and uh, it's it's more just almost entertaining for me than it is uh, you know really a, a career thing. it just it's it's a lot of fun. Well listen when you talk about a lot of fun, for us, at least the struggling Bears fans who may be out there listening, you know, Lauren and I have a common bond, a mutual, uh, a mutual interest here with the Chicago Bears. And and for any Bears fan that's out there, you know that really since the Lovey Smith era ended, the NFL draft became essentially the highlight of the football calendar. It was the Super Bowl for Bears fans. And a lot of fan bases can say the same thing. For example, the Cleveland Browns until probably this season they lived and died for the NFL draft and other teams, you know, they're not, they're, we're not alone here. The New York jets and, and I don't know, Lauren, think of another couple teams here. Help me out. Teams that have been in the, in the perpetual losers, the perennial losers that honestly, the, the NFL draft is that beacon of hope, that shining light at the end of a terrible 16 week season, that first, second, Oakland, third, top 10 pick. The Exactly. The teams Buffalo like the Raiders, Bills, the Bengals, the Jaguars I mean, out to some extent. Exactly. So so the NFL draft really is and has been the most fun or the funnest time of year for fan bases like that. So Lauren and I, through our years working together at BearsWire.com, have really focused in on the NFL draft, usually this time of year. But we're in a different era now with Chicago Bears football, Lauren, and especially in 2019 with the Bears not having a first or second round pick because of the Cleo Mack trade. And I kind of want to start there as we get into kind of a big picture discussion about the draft. When the Bears make a trade like that for Cleo Mack or any franchise makes a deal like that for Cleo Mack, a guy who's 27 years old, impact pass rusher, but they give up so much in terms of draft assets. Now that we're a year removed from that trade, now that we know what Cleo Mack did for the Bears and what he means for them moving forward, but we're also in that time of year where we're also realizing kind of what they gave up. They gave up that first round pick and we'll be here again next year where they gave up that first round pick. Looking back on it now, I think it's safe to say it's a trade that we would still make, obviously, but what is your overall philosophy when it comes to dealing multiple first rounders for a potential impact player like Cleo Mack? So the longer I've really 
dove into the analytics community on this, the more I've started to lean a little bit more to that side that I think when this trade went down in September and, and even leading up to that, I was kind of under the impression that it's, you know, it's so difficult to acquire truly elite players at any position in the NFL that you, you sort of do have to, I guess, overpay in terms of what you're giving from a trade cons, you know, from a trade compensation standpoint, that it's going to take a lot to get a player that you're most likely not going to be able to just draft at, at any point in a the draft. These players like Khalil Mack that you might call transcendent, you might throw the generational word out there, but that one has, carries a lot of meaning with it. But regardless, there, there might not be a Khalil Mack in this draft or the last draft or the next draft or the next couple drafts in terms of being able to acquire a player of that talent. So it's easy to kind of sell yourself on it from that standpoint saying there is arguably no other way to acquire a player like Khalil Mack with any kind of certainty other than making a trade like this. And you could even throw a guy like Odell Beckham in there for, you know, wide receiver Antonio Brown, as far as the, the transcendent talent at a position that is just really hard to draft. But at the same time, when it, when it's a trade like Mack and you're giving up multiple first round picks like this, you know, the analytics kind of tell you that, Hey, unless you're really trading for a quarterback that has such a deep, impact on the game and really rises above all other positions, you're likely not going to get as much value in return there that those draft picks can likely go on to have a bigger impact on a team when you're talking about multiple first round picks than any one non quarterback just based on positional importance that, you know, as great as Khalil Mack was, he wasn't making the Oakland Raiders the, a better team, at least from a, a wins and losses standpoint. He wasn't pushing them over the top to the playoffs. And so you bring him to Chicago, and this was still a very, very good Bears team, even when Khalil Mack was hurt. The offense was still at another level. Everyone on the defense was playing very, very well. And it's not that Khalil Mack didn't make them better, but how much did he make them better, and and how does that compare to what a couple of draft picks could do for the long-term health of this team? I think you can really you know, you can see it from the Bears' perspective. You can see it from the Raiders' perspective. And I'm not saying I would redo and, and take back the trade, but I have kind of come around a little bit more understanding why the analytics community likes it from the Raiders' standpoint as well as the Bears. But how much – when you talk about the analytics and you look at the value, the value of a first-round pick, the value of multiple first-round picks, and I understand from an analytics standpoint that that is ultimately the – the weighing factor, for lack of a better term, in assessing Khalil Mack versus two first-round picks. But now that we're in this draft class uh, and we see that the Raiders ended up with the 24th pick from the Bears out of this trade, what is going to be there at pick number 24 that you could argue would be worth dealing Khalil Mack for? And you know, we don't know what will be at next year's first round. We don't know where the Bears will pick next year. You'd have to assume they're going to be anywhere between 20 and who knows, maybe 32. But for this year, what we know now, now we know what this draft class is. The 24th pick, the Raiders, if you look at several mock drafts, you're looking at possibly a defensive back, possibly a wide receiver, maybe a player like Josh Jacobs. How much of that do you factor into your assessment of a trade like this after the fact, not just from an analytics standpoint of, you know, what does a first round pick mean to the overall team building concept? But now we know what that first round pick will probably be. And if you think it's a guy like Josh Jacobs, let's say at running back or one of these edge players like Clellan Farrell from uh, Clemson or a defensive back, maybe a greedy Williams slips there to 24 cornerback. 
Does that change your assessment at all when you're when you're kind of assessing or evaluating the winner and or loser from this trade? Yeah, it's always it seems like the longer you get into the future, the the more it's easy to go back and and kind of you know question things here and there. And from an individual pick standpoint, I I agree with you that you know the way it sits right now, the twenty fourth overall pick there, it doesn't feel as valuable. And I think especially when you look at the Khalil Mack trade in, in a vacuum a little bit. them having sent the bears back a future second round pick makes it look even worse as far as trying to weigh whether or not Oakland versus Chicago gets the win here. But at the same time, I I could look at it and say, okay, if, if Oakland could use the 24th pick to pair with the number four pick and say, trade up to get Kyler Murray or, you know, to ensure that they land the quarterback, that's going to be, you know, that John Gruden wants to be the cornerstone of their, their franchise. And, if that quarterback were to be successful and, and they were able to use the Khalil Mack assets to get a player that important to the future of their franchise, I could see where this lines up to work nicely for Oakland, even if you know the 24th pick itself wasn't necessarily the direct production of an elite player. But you know, on its own, yeah, it's not like this draft is necessarily the strongest in that late 20s range. You know, some years you get sort of this run of like receivers and safeties that st- and, and even offensive linemen that linger towards the end of the first round. And a bunch of teams are trying to jump back up into the bottom of the first and make sure they get that guy with the fifth year option. As I look at this draft class right now, it seems like once you get outside of the top, oh boy, I don't know, 15-ish then, then you're really kind of in this blur between 15 and, and maybe 50 and maybe 40, somewhere in that range. So 24, not a great spot for Oakland. And, and I and I get your point there what, when you talk about how what the 24th pick can become beyond just a player. The 24th pick becomes that asset, like we're talking about, that Oakland could combine with the number four pick to maybe move up to number one if, let's say, they value a guy like Kyler Murray high enough or highly enough. But – Again, me being the the traditionalist, the old school guy, you know, having the established potentially Hall of Fame level pass rusher like Cleo Mack, even if he's not in your plans long term from a team building standpoint, maybe John Gruden wanted to go in a different direction. I still feel like they would have gotten more by holding on to Cleo Mack. And then if this is the year they want to trade him, when you talk about guys like Nick Bosa possibly being the number one pick, Nick Bosa is not Cleo Mack. I mean, maybe he could become Khalil Mack one day, but he's not Khalil Mack. So if the number one pick overall has the value behind it or the value behind the number one pick overall, if it's not a quarterback, is a player like Nick Boza, you're essentially saying that Khalil Mack is like the number one pick overall in this draft. And if you want to get move up to get a guy like Kyler Murray, don't you think the Raiders might have been able to just trade Khalil Mack to move up for that and they'd still have the number four pick overall or how enticing is Khalil Mack and the four? What is that going to get them in return? So I still think when we look at this at the end of the day, the Bears won that trade, even if you go from analytics to just straight up scouting. Because the other part of this too, Lauren, that I think is has not really been discussed is the responsibility in the Raider scouting department to have that look ahead, to be able to see what will a draft pick potentially become in 2019 if we deal Khalil Mack for a first rounder? What is the pool of, let's say, the top 50 players projected to come out in this draft look like? Are they going to be guys that, whether the Bears are the number 10 pick or the number 29 pick, are we going to get a guy that gives us value in return that will make us say, 
yeah, it was worth trading Cleo Mack. So I think part of the failure by the Raiders in this trade was not having a deep enough knowledge of this draft class because it's not like juniors didn't declare. There's a record number of juniors in this draft. So if anything, the draft class got stronger since they made that trade and it still is without that overwhelming talent that you would say is worth dealing a Cleo Mack for. So I think having Cleo Mack in your arsenal even if it's just not only on the field. I mean, we saw how bad the Raiders pass rush was without him. But even at this time of year, to be able to make a power play for a guy like Kyler Murray, Khalil Mack, to me, on the roster, would have given them a better chance. But let's talk about Kyler Murray for a second. Do you think the story or, or the narrative right now that's forming around the draft of Kyler Murray going to the Cardinals, number one, number first question I have for you is, are you buying it? And second, do you think that this is a wise strategy by the Cardinals to go to move on from Josh Rosen already? I mean, you're an analytics guy. You have a lot of of uh, personal working knowledge with pro, with pro football focus. You've graded games for them. You have an understanding of their system. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Josh Rosen did not perform well on the pro football focus scale as a rookie. Do you think that they are right to potentially that the Cardinals are correct in potentially? Moving on from him this soon, do you think this is a big giant smokescreen? Where do you where do you kind of stand on the whole Kyler Murray number one to the Cardinals narrative? Well, certainly as the offseason has gone on, it's been hard to exactly pin down where you know where the Cardinals stand with this Kyler Murray thing, and you know bringing him into Arizona now. And I think the Cardinals had their first media availability today, uh, you know, as we were recording this here on Tuesday, and Josh Rosen didn't meet with the media, and he wasn't seen so much very publicly during, uh, you know, workouts and things where the media were available there. So all all signs are really pointing to the Kyler Murray direction here. And I I don't know how much competitive advantage the Arizona Cardinals have at this point in trying to hide what they're going to do with that first pick. I mean, I mean, unless they're trying to leverage it for a trade and and I guess that would kind of be the, the one possibility there. And I'm sure they're leaving the door open, but at this point, I'm kind of ready to just pencil in Kyler Murray there. And I, I understand it from a team building standpoint that as the, the more and more numbers that we crunch at PFF show kind of the obvious how important the quarterback position is and how you absolutely need to invest any and everything you can to make sure you get that position right. It, it seems obvious, but sort of I think it, it's valuable to have the numbers kind of confirm that that yes, even if you think you might have something in Josh Rosen if you're pretty darn sure that you can have something even better in Kyler Murray. You have to go out and get the player that you think can give the best chance for your team to win at that quarterback position because they unilaterally have the most individual impact on your ability between wins and losses. So I I understand it from an Arizona Cardinal standpoint. I think if they identify Kyler Murray as that guy, then it's absolutely the right move. You have to do whatever it takes, no matter what quarterbacks you have on the roster. I think you, you can't get too strung up on one guy, even though you, you invested a top 10 pick in Josh Rosen last year, and it's probably not going to return that much investment if and when they move on from him. But again, the value of that quarterback position to be able to get it right. I think a lot of times teams are just too stubborn with other quarterbacks. And so I, I guess I applaud the Cardinals in that sense, if, if they're indeed doing this, to 
be able to say, you know what, we have to get this position right. Sorry, Josh, you know, we wish it wouldn't have gone this way and we wish it could have worked out this way, X, Y, Z. I, I think Rosen can still be a quality starting quarterback in the NFL. I, I liked him coming out and I think he had a really difficult situation in Arizona in year one. I'm not trying to, he's not going to be a, this elite top 10 type top five quarterback or anything at this point but I think he can still go to another team and and be a a positive and a a player who can elevate the play of players around him a little bit so you know it's tough I think for everybody involved but I see it for the Cardinals and I I see Josh Rosen still being able to to make something of his career though and I'm I'm all aboard the Kyler Murray train here I I really think he could be a difference maker at the quarterback position doesn't look you know, doesn't have the size. Obviously, I mean, Kyler Murray's been overanalyzed to death at this point, but all the pro football focus numbers back him up sort of the same way Baker Mayfield was last year in terms of accuracy and, you know, at, at all levels of the field, NFL throws, being able to go through NFL reads and NFL progressions despite what's seen as a little bit more of a simplistic system at Oklahoma. We saw it start to translate with Baker, and I think. Kyler Murray is right in line here to, you know, if he stays healthy and everything kind of goes as expected, he can go on a similar trajectory. I I agree. I mean, Kyler Murray, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, and I've written about this on withthefirstpick.com. Kyler Murray, to me, is a quarterback who is tailor-made for today's game, and he's tailor-made for a franchise that's rebuilding. And when you have an offense like the Cardinals that, aside from really David Johnson and an aging Larry Fitzgerald, don't have much going for them, you know, a guy like Kyler Murray becomes your best running back, your best quarterback, and overall your best playmaker. So you're you're almost getting three quote-unquote skill guys in one pick. And Kyler Murray, kind of like what Michael Vick did many years ago for the Atlanta Falcons when the Falcons really didn't have much of anything as at receiver. I mean, his number one target back in the day was Algie Crumpler. So, But Michael Vick made that a competitive program just by his presence alone. And I think Kyler Murray is a very similar athlete, a very similar thrower of the football. And I think he could end up having... You know, he can be the kind of guy that by himself brings the Arizona Cardinals to like a seven and nine season. And that doesn't sound great. But when you're looking at where the Cardinals are coming from, uh, seven wins just by having Kyler Murray, you add a pretty solid defense around him, a guy like David Johnson, they could quickly become a 500 team with just that pick. But going back to Josh Rosen for a moment, I, I think what's happening here and probably unfairly to him is this rush to judgment on the kind of pro quarterback he's going to be because of a down rookie year. You know, look at what happened with Jared Goff with the Rams. I mean, Jared Goff had a rookie season where by the time it was all said and done, he was already being labeled a bust before his second year got underway. New coaching staff, new offensive philosophy, a more quarterback-friendly system, and Jared Goff is suddenly now considered, you know, one of the six or seven best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I, I don't think there's much of a difference between what Jared Goff does well and what Josh Rosen could do well. And with an offensive-minded quarterback, uh, offensive-minded coach like Cliff Kingsbury now in the system, who knows what Josh Rosen could do? And I'm starting to trend, my thought process, I should say, is starting to trend into the direction that keep both of them. I mean, why not keep both of them? If Josh Rosen is only going to bring back a second or third round pick in this year's draft, if you tried to trade him, keep both of them. Let Josh Rosen put together a couple of dominant seasons of preseason tape. And maybe by the end of year three or even year four, you might be able to flip him into a first round pick. Kyler Murray gets banged up. Josh Rosen goes into takes the field, goes on a three or four game run of high level starts. You might be able to flip him, him into a first round pick next year this time versus a second or third round pick right now simply because of the fear of two top highly drafted quarterbacks in the same locker room. Do you think there'd be any logic 
behind the Cardinals just sitting there and saying, look, we're taking Kyler Murray. We're keeping Josh Rosen. And it's Kyler Murray's team. But we think Josh Rosen with another year under his belt, maybe even another two years under his belt, will bring us more value in a trade than what he would do right now. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That I think when we talk about uh, the other teams in the NFL that would want to trade for Josh Rosen or could or should trade for Josh Rosen, there's there's almost 31 teams. I mean, you could probably eliminate a couple of the teams with you know young, great quarterbacks. But otherwise, why wouldn't you want to add a player like this and have them either be a, a really, really top-notch backup with a lot of potential value to be gained as a as upside as they continue to develop or you know compete to start and I think Rosen could do the same thing with the Arizona Cardinals there that 100% that you know right now they have I think Brett Hundley and uh, you know a reserve future guy that, that probably isn't going to stick around too much so you know I, I absolutely am with you 100% that you can never have too many quarterbacks and, and from a, a leadership and a and a locker room dynamic question well that's that's something we just won't have enough information on the outside here. And obviously coming out of the draft, there were sort of those loosely those question marks with Josh Rosen as far as him maybe having a personality that isn't the same or your typical alpha male quarterback. So whether that means Rosen would be more inclined or less inclined to deal with a two quarterback room, I, I don't know. I've, I've never met Josh Rosen. I, I can't, I, I don't like when people on the outside kind of sit here and speculate about a player's personality without really truly knowing that person's personality. But I, I think that plays in a factor. And I guess we don't even know if, you know, how well does Cliff Kingsbury know Josh Rosen? You know, how well is a, a rookie head coach here, a younger guy brought in some, maybe some question marks about, you know, players buying in and feeling like he has enough under his belt to say, Hey, we're going to do it my way and we're going to be successful. You know, is that too much to put on a young head coach here trying to turn around a team that's already struggling, that already just had a one-year turnover? I mean, it seems like a lot of times with these decisions, it, it comes down to more than football, even even though I agree with you that I think the the football, the best football decision for the Arizona Cardinals and the best way to, I think, maximize Josh Rosen as an asset would be to keep him on the roster, like you said. And, and let's say they don't or, or and they trade him, right? Let's say they trade Josh Rosen for, you know, pennies on the dollar. And let's say they're terrible again. And let's say Kyler Murray has a Josh Rosen-like rookie season. And they're sitting at the number one or number two pick overall next year in a draft class that's, that is, as of right now on paper, could have two quarterbacks that are worthy of the first and second overall pick between Tua and Herbert from uh, Oregon. You know, what – is going to give Kyler Murray confidence that the Cardinals are going to stick with him. I mean, w w is he going to be looking over his shoulder after a few bad games and the Cardinals are trending toward the number one pick overall? I mean, you do it once. Hey, listen, w what's to stop them from doing it a second time? I mean, obviously it would be insanity for the Arizona Cardinals to go three straight drafts with first round picks spent on quarterback, but it's also insanity to go two straight drafts to spend a first round pick on a quarterback. So if you do it once, there's not necessarily anything stopping them from doing it again. And you want to have Kyler Murray, you know, have the kind of confidence to know, all right, even if I struggle in year one, this is my team. Well, Josh Rosen obviously doesn't feel that confidence. And it's it's something that is going to be a really interesting and dramatic storyline to watch unfold as we kind of go through the draft process here over the next few weeks. If you were another team and you needed a quarterback, let's say you were the New York Giants and you have an aging Eli Manning on your roster and you are armed with two first round picks. Would you, Lauren Cox, general manager, you know, analytics guru, 
Would you trade the 17th pick for Josh Rosen if you were in position to be able to do that right now? I don't I don't think that would be uh, given the the market right now for Josh Rosen. It doesn't seem like he sh- will command that type of value and and to be honest, well, I, let me let me just let me just in, let me just interject here. Considering the market as we know it, right? Considering the market that the media is portraying, considering the market that is pretty much been dictated by teams that are being, you know, stubborn right now, almost forcing the Cardinals' hand to say, if you're going to take Kyler Murray, you can't keep both guys. But if the Cardinals sit back and do what it sounds like they're starting to do, which is they're not really entertaining trade offers right now for Josh Rosen. If you believe the reports that have come out recently, it's essentially the Cardinals have not engaged in substantive conversations about dealing Rosen. And if they can kind of put that front, that face forward, and they can make it seem like what we just talked about a minute ago, that they will keep both guys if they're not overwhelmed with an offer. If they can put that out. So let's just, in a fantasy world here, assume the Cardinals have convinced every team in the NFL that they're not going to deal Josh Rosen unless it's an offer that blows them away. And you're a New York Giants team or even an Oakland Raiders team who has multiple first round picks and a potential need at quarterback. Are you confident enough in a Josh Rosen scouting report? Because I don't think you can necessarily just evaluate Josh Rosen's future as a pro based on his first, I don't know how many games he started last year, but those, that handful of starts, what was it like 12 or 13 games he started? I mean, I might be wrong there. I'm shooting from the hip here, but you can't label a guy and, and define his career based on one season. So if you trust your college scouting department and your college scouting department had a first round grade on him last year. Are you a guy that if you were Dave Gettleman, you you were sitting in the big chair, let's specifically stick with the Giants, number 17 overall, are you making that offer for Josh Rosen, assuming that's what it would take? So I, I think the way I would look at this is that if if Josh Rosen were in this draft class and hadn't played with the Arizona Cardinals, I would take him with that 17th overall pick. But what concerns me is the long-term effects of that first season in the Arizona Arizona Cardinals offense that again, not necessarily having the full information on Josh Rosen's personality. I I would, I'm trying, I'm not, I don't, not intentionally hedging here in that sense, but I would need to know, okay, do I trust that? Can he put this first season behind him completely? And, and if they, if I could, if I could have some pretty firm assurance from, you know, scouts and coaches that say, yeah, you know what, he's going to enter my training camp this year, sort of with a full restart, knowing I'm getting the guy that I thought I was getting out of UCLA, I would trade that 17th overall pick for Josh Rosen. I think he can be good enough at the quarterback. I mean, he could be that enough of a difference maker, especially in an offense like the New York Giants. You know, Rosen's a guy who can throw it downfield a little bit, can, you know, get guys like Sterling Shepard working. If they still had Odell Beckham Jr., I would be especially more inclined to trade for Josh Rosen. But when you have Barkley in the backfield to take the pressure off of a rookie quarterback, I think it's a much better situation for a guy like Rosen to come into. I think if you ask Rosen to not have to do so much and really not have all the pressure coming down on him, both figuratively and literally behind that Cardinals offensive line in New York. I think it's such so much a better situation for a young quarterback. And I, I would take the guy coming out of UCLA with that 17th overall pick. So if I if I had some level of assurance from my scouts and coaches that 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 first season in Arizona isn't locking in bad habits for Rosen or, you know, having him sort of feel ghosts in the pocket or kind of leaving him 
with a, a lack of confidence and all sort of the pitfalls that you worry about a young quarterback struggling in year one, if I can eliminate those, absolutely. If, if those are the real risks and, and real question marks about Rosen, then I, I, I worry about for sure whether I'm willing to give up that first round pick. See, I, I look at it similarly, but maybe a little with a little bit more of an optimistic spin on it. I, you look at this quarterback class after Kyler Murray and you say, all right, there's Dwayne Haskins, there's Drew Locke, there's Daniel Jones. I don't know if any of those guys at the end of the day would rank higher on my board if I was an NFL general manager than a Josh Rosen, even a Josh Rosen who came off of a coming off of a struggling or a rookie year that, that had a lot of struggles. I almost look at his rookie season as a positive in my uh, analysis of whether I would trade a first round pick for him. Let's say you're the Denver Broncos and you have the number 10 overall pick and you're, star- you're, you're sitting there staring at Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke as a potential guy that you would draft to stash behind Joe Flacco. Josh Rosen has a year under his belt in the NFL. It wasn't a great year on the field, but Josh Rosen has a year of experience as a professional. And there were some good moments with Josh Rosen. There were reasons to feel like this guy can play in this league. Whereas Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, you have no idea if these guys are going to be able to make it. You have no idea if they're going to be able to adjust to the NFL game. Drew Locke has serious accuracy issues, in my opinion. Dwayne Haskins has athletic limitations, in my opinion. And Josh Rosen, while he's not a perfect quarterback, he has that year of experience, almost like a redshirt season, for lack of a better term, especially if you're going to put him behind an established veteran. So I would almost view his rookie year, even with all the warts that it's littered with, as a positive if I'm weighing, do I draft Dwayne Haskins at 10 or do I trade the 10 for a guy like Josh Rosen. If you think about it, there are teams that are going to draft quarterbacks in the first round after Kyler Murray. They're going to draft Dwayne Haskins, most likely. Daniel Jones is in the mix for a first round quarterback uh, selection. If you're the Washington Redskins at number 15, what in the world would make you think that Daniel Jones at 15 is a better strategy and move for your franchise than than trading the number 15 for Josh Rosen? Don't you think that that first year, even if there were some bad habits, even if there were some concerns on tape, still gives you a more concrete, more confidence in your assessment of Josh Rosen moving forward because it wasn't that long ago that he was a top 10 pick. And now he has a year of experience under his belt. He'll come into your program with a fresh start. It can't get any worse than it was in Arizona. So you know he's going to be playing with a better supporting cast no matter where he goes and a chance to be more successful no matter where he goes. So you kind of have a little bit more of an understanding of who the player is. And when you're investing such an important asset in that position, don't you think that that first year, even as bad as it was, actually can be a benefit in terms of assessing rookie versus a guy entering year two? Yeah, I'm with you there. That NFL tape is <laughs> it's very valuable. It's much more of a you know what you're getting a little bit more with Josh Rosen than any of these rookies. But I, I can see where sort of the, the the unknown is alluring for general managers that, you know, yes, you, you don't know what Dwayne Haskins is going to be in the NFL exactly. You don't know what D- Daniel Jones or Drew Locke are going to be in the NFL, but you have seen some of what Josh Rosen is going to be. And, and there's still a lot of untapped potential in there. And you can see from, like you said, there are a lot of bright moments and you want to be able to get more of those bright moments. But, but now you kind of know 
some of what Josh Rosen can and, and can't do. That obviously, when when things are really struggling around him, he he can't you know he can't single handedly carry a team with with perhaps poor coaching and poor sports staff around him. Whereas with with Haskins, Locke, and Jones, chances are none of those guys probably can either. And and honestly, chances are probably pretty good that they're not going to be better than Josh Rosen. But but let me I, I'm going to interrupt you again here, Lauren. How many rookie quarterbacks have we seen in, in recent years? And you might have an example that completely shoots me down here. But how many rookie quarterbacks have we seen in recent years who can do, were able to do the things that you're talking about, overcome an inept, an inept coaching staff, who were able to overcome a terrible offensive line and a number one receiver who literally has one foot in retirement? I mean, how many rookie quarterbacks were ever going to be able to overcome obstacles like that. So I, I almost feel like you kind of got the worst out of Josh Rosen's system. Don't you think? I mean, I, I, I mean, you look at a guy like Carson Wentz, he had a really good rookie year, but the Eagles were a much better organization and much more, you know, set up for him to succeed. I, I go back to Jared Goff again. I mean, nobody would have traded a first round pick for Jared Goff after his rookie year, Right. Now, if a team could have traded a number one pick for Jared Goff after his rookie year, they would have lined up knowing what we know now. So I almost feel like, you know, teams are going to really regret. If Josh Rosen's on the market and it would take a first round pick to get him, I think teams will really regret it because of the, you know, I, I don't know if it's underestimating the obstacles he was going against last year. But I just feel like what you're talking about in terms of, you know, you saw that he can't maybe elevate his offense when everything's going wrong. He can't really adapt to chaos around him. I mean, gosh, I don't know what quarterback in the last 10 years as a rookie would have been able to do that. I mean, you might be, and again, I I agree with you and I I, I get the point. I mean, you might be able to make a case of, of Baker Mayfield doing doing that at least a, a higher rate not certainly not completely taking over a game and maybe a little bit of uh some splashes of that of Deshaun Watson during his rookie year I guess I mean I, I think you want a little bit more evidence than Josh Rosen showed as far as truly being I mean there's there's only a handful of quarterbacks in the NFL that truly really elevate the level of play around of, of players around them that, you know, everyone else is kind of somewhere in the middle as far as how much they need help versus how much they're helping other players. So, you know, there may only be one quarter. I mean, Kyler Murray could be the only quarterback in this draft that has that true transcendent, make everyone around him a lot better quarterback. And then you're trying to figure out, okay, where is Josh Rosen in this spectrum? And then where might Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke and, and Daniel Jones, et cetera, be in that spectrum? And I guess with Rosen, we've, we've kind of seen that, okay, he, he can still be a great quarterback, but he's never going to be that truly elite quarterback. And they're, they're, they're very, very rare, but I guess you don't know for sure that Haskins, Locke, et cetera, you know, they could step in. I mean, there's, there's a chance it's low, but it is still that technically unknown. Whereas Rosen, you're starting to know that he's not in that. He's truly not that rare, rare quarterback. And, and there's always still a, just that little bit of a chance that a general manager can fall in love with and say, okay, I think Haskins or, or Locke or whatever can be that special guy. 
I, I just, it's such a slippery slope to use the word never, right? I mean, if we look at Mitchell Trubisky after his rookie year, there were some serious questions about what kind of pro quarterback he would be. And, and maybe there still are some questions about uh, what he'll ultimately, what what kind of player he's ultimately going to settle in as. Um, but if look, if I'm the New York Giants and I'm sitting there armed with two first round picks and at number 17 or even number six, I'm debating taking a quarterback. I'm using the number six pick on offensive or defensive lineman, and then I'm flipping that 17 into Josh Rosen, rolling the dice that this kid who was in top 10 pick last year will thrive with a change of scenery and, and just a fresh start. But it's a great debate to have, and it's obvious just between our just in our conversation here how it can go in so many different directions. And the Arizona Cardinals, I'm sure, are banging their heads against the wall trying to figure out what exactly would be the best strategy for their franchise if they end up taking Kyler Murray, which I agree with you. I think, I think it is at very, at the least it's a pencil pick. And if anything, it's moving more toward uh, firm ink written in pen that they're going to take Kyler Murray. And, and honestly, I think if they go any other direction, it would be foolish. You know, the number one pick should always be about the quarterback, especially if there's a quarterback worthy of taking at that spot. If not, you take the offensive tackle to block for your quarterback, or you take the pass rusher to sack your quarterback in this year's draft, the quarterback is there. So you got to take him. but Moving on here, Lauren, I want to kind of wrap this up with, you know, you are the analytics guy. So do you have any uh, wisdom to impart on our listeners here in terms of from an analytics standpoint, uh, the way the top five is looking right now, where you have Kyler Murray, you have Nick Boza, you have Quinton Williams, you have Josh Allen, maybe a guy like Ed Oliver. Some of these guys that are, are Devin White, the linebacker from LSU, some of these guys that are consistently mentioned in the top five. Does anybody jump out at you in terms of, the real blue chipper that kind of not only checks the boxes for a traditional scout who quote unquote watches the tape and the analytics guys who, who dive a little deeper and, and go behind the tape and find numbers that can predict success. Is there one guy that stands out in the top five as uh, the player that you kind of have to have if it's not Kyler Murray at number one? Well, it feels like at this point, you know, we've gone, the draft community has collectively churned over this. So, you know, I feel like, you know, I have to say Nick Boza, but everyone's kind of talked about Nick Boza. I mean, from a from every aspect of analytics, he is sort of the the pass rusher darling in this draft. As much as Josh Allen is exciting and he's up there and and it has been incredibly productive, I believe Nick Boza has been the more consistent from a, a win rate from a pass rush standpoint. So not just not just generating sacks, not just generating pressure, but even just his plays when he's beating the offensive lineman in front of him. So pro football focus tracks not only the pressures, but the individual pass rush and pass blocking wins and losses in terms of these one-on-ones and and even double teams in there as well. And I believe Nick Boza was ahead in terms of just how often this player gets off of blocks as a pass rusher. Certainly, you know, you take him as a a well-rounded prospect that can just do a little bit of everything. And it it really puts him as the cherry on top for that, that defensive edge rushing prospect like you talked about, protecting the quarterback, getting after the quarterback, and the quarterback himself is kind of the the traditional most important positions, the analytics community is kind of straying over towards the cornerbacks are more valuable than pass rushers conversation, which is a whole different podcast discussion about how those players are valued. And that's why a guy like Byron Murphy continues to kind of be up in this conversation, but it's still Bosa. It's still Quinn and Williams put Josh Allen in there as well. And you've got yourself a good draft to get uh, players to get after the quarterback there, even as far down as the top 10. 
Well, Lauren, I got to say, man, it's always a blast when I get a chance to speak with you about all things football. I know 99.9% of our conversations circle around and are centered around the Chicago Bears. But when we get a chance to talk about more general football content, especially when it's the draft, like Kyler Murray, like the Arizona Cardinals, like some of these defensive standouts, like what the Giants may or may not do when it comes to identifying their quarterback of the future, it's a lot of fun, man. And all you guys, you can listen uh, to Lauren every single day on the Locked On Bears podcast. It's a must listen. Uh, I, I know it's, you know, maybe not every one of you are a Bears fan, but, you know, Lauren brings a lot of knowledge, not only about the Bears, but all the teams in the NFC North, the Bears opponents, the draft in general. You got to make sure you subscribe to that podcast. Follow Lauren over on Twitter at Cox Sports One. Check out all his work over at the Bears Wire and NBC Sports Chicago. Lauren, it was a pleasure as always. We will have you back soon. And everyone out there, make sure you're listening to the With the First Pick podcast. Subscribe to the show. Rate the show. You you guys have a chance when you're listening to podcasts to rate shows kind of like recruits coming out of high school by the stars, right? The five-star recruit is always the one everybody wants. So we're hoping to become your five-star podcast. So give us a good rating. Give us a nice review. And make sure you come on back next time to the With the First Pick podcast. And we're we're about two and a half weeks outside of the draft now, so we're going to be having more shows coming up. A lot of great content over at with the first pick dot with the first pick dot com. I probably should get that right. Um, and again, come on back. We'll be back soon with another episode of the with the first pick podcast.